Father, your church stands here boldly before your throne because of the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. That we cannot grasp the depth of worth that you deserve and we admit we fall short of giving you the honor and the glory that you are due and often we take it for ourselves, and we put it on men who are just as flawed as us. So forgive us for where we've fallen short of looking to your face and honoring and glorying you with the depths of the emotions and affections of our heart and put it on worthless things. Father, forgive us. But God, I thank you for your mercy. And I ask that this morning, you'd be patient with us. You'd open our hearts. You'd open our minds. And you'd let us see the deep things of you. Put our eyes on Christ and nothing else. And God, show us what you want us to see this morning. I pray it all in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, West Olive. It is good, good, good to see you, my brothers and sisters. And we just had a very interesting week, did we not? Who enjoyed the snow? Oh, okay, okay, okay. See, listen, you guys got to experience what I got to experience growing up as a southern boy. And what I mean by that is total chaos when snow comes. You see, uh, down south, when there's even a forecast of snow, everything closes. And I couldn't believe my eyes as I watched like forecast after forecast and after news and news of closing and closing, even works and businesses and things closing down and seeing people literally staying inside their homes and saying, don't go out on the roads. I'm like, that's what I grew up with. And I finally get to see it in Michigan. The, the only difference is, is that when I went to the store, there still was bread and milk. So apparently uh, Michigan hasn't got the, uh, the, the news that when it's in a state of emergency, you have to get bread and milk or you'll die. Um, before the propane, before you make sure you have enough, you got to get it. I was amazed, though, as I watched the snow pour and pour and pour, and, and day after day waking up more and more and more snow on top of each other. And it made me think of the grace and the mercy of God that pours and pours and pours and pours and never stops. One day, my daughters and I went out in like the snow and it's up to our knees and we're just tracks everywhere. And the next day I come out, I can't even see where our tracks were because it had continued to snow over the rest of the day and night and looking around and it's all flat again and reminding me of God's mercy that covers the mistakes and the tracks of sin from the day before. Then I wake up today 40 degrees, it's all melting, it's going away, and we're saying amen. But I'm thankful that God isn't like the weather. He doesn't give up and he doesn't let up. And his snow of mercy piles far above our head. And when I think about life, and I look to God who's a perfect father, I can't help reflect on my inconsistencies and my failure as a father. And I want to preface what we're going to talk about today with something. Um, we're going to talk about some hard things, and I want to ask permission from my brothers and sisters. Is it okay if one of your pastors, is it okay if we speak truth and we talk about some hard things? Is that okay? Well, we're going to do that, and that's, that's okay. Every church needs to, 
right? And so let's get into it. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me recap with you. We learn from Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 that God has done all the work. And what have you heard us say every single week? That a changed heart by God will bring what? will bring a changed life for God. So chapters 1 through 3, God does all the work. Chapters 4 through 6 is the result of that work. God will bring a new life. And so if we're, if we're wanting new life, if we want things to change, I'm sorry, we can't just run to 4 through 6 and just do what it says. We have to run to 1 through 3 and see what God has done, see what Jesus has done, and let him pour into our life. And that heart that has been infected by the atoning work and grace of Jesus will begin to pour out through its hands and feet the work of Christ. And we must remember that, especially as we get into today's sermon, because we're going to talk about work. And our propensity and our heart is always to look for a list and to look for things to do and to be deceived by the good things that we do externally that inside we're still good. So we learned in chapters 4, beginning this new life series what a worthy walk looks like. And I wonder if I were to ask in your life, since we've talked about that, a worthy walk of being patient and kind and gentle and forbearing one another in love and being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, I wonder if God has given you situations and people in your life to test to see if you'll walk worthy. Does it every day. And then then Todd led us in to the unity of, of the Spirit, and that we are one body, and there's one Lord, there's one Father, there's one Spirit, there's one God over all. And then Charles, Pastor Charles, led us down the reason why we are unified, because Christ descended to the earth, and he defeated the works of darkness and the powers of darkness once and for all, and he ascended, and he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men, and he's given us the Spirit, but he's also equipped us and given us each individual gifts, and which leads us into our sermon today. I want you to imagine with me, you guys see me neglecting my three beautiful daughters, neglecting them and not giving them food, letting them starve. One, I hope you would poke me in the eyes and tell me to wake up. But what happens to someone when we start to starve and our body starts to break down and begins to cannibalize itself and then our minds begin to, to think and dream about the very thing that we need and we reflect on it and then we ultimately starve, starve, we lose energy, we lose energy, we lose effectiveness until our bodies waste away. And if you've ever done any research on famines of history, you'll see the effects of starvation on the body. You know, in the church it's similar. We can starve to death. We can fail to grow and sit and starve And as we're going to talk about being equipped to grow, we're going to see there's spiritual immaturity that we must deal with. So bear with me. Bear with me as we are simply looking into the honesty of what we deal with. We need to know ourselves. We need to know our weaknesses. And we need to face them head on. Everybody's going to deal with something different. You go to a church in China. You go to a church in India. You go to a church in Africa. You go to a church in Canada, church in America. We're all going to have different struggles we face different immaturities we're going to have to deal with. And we need to be willing to look at the ones that are unique to us and face them and attack them and deal with them. And since we're an American church, we need to be aware of the unique struggles we, are tend, we tend to have. Notice I said tend to have. It's not a blanket statement, but 
we tend to be the richest. We tend to be the most gluttonous. We tend to be the most comfiest. We tend to be the softest. We tend to be the most fickle. And we tend to potentially be the most immature because of the lack of hardship and persecution in our lives. We don't run from bullets as we joyfully sprint to our church gatherings underground. China does. And I don't know if you've kept up with any news, but in December, China cracked down on their underground churches and has arrested and thrown into prison many pastors and leaders and people of churches that are trying to gather. One Protestant church, the pastor Wang Li was arrested. He said this, he said, I firmly believe that Christ has called me to carry out this faithful disobedience, disobeying and rebelling against the government that's wanting their church to assimilate. Disobedience through a life of service under this regime that opposes the gospel and persecutes the church. Wang Li proclaimed, this is the means by which I preach the gospel, and it is the mystery of the gospel which I preach. The vocal and courageous pastor does not plan on relenting to Chinese authorities anytime soon. Now listen to this. Wang declared prior to his arrest that the church would continue to gather in the event of a government shutdown. World Magazine reported that 50 to 60 people gathered for worship outdoors on that particular week, and they were arrested. And at least 10 leaders of the early reign church remain in custody. Leaders who have been released said they were shackled, starved, and tortured while in detention. You see, our lack of persecution has brought a unique enemy to us. We shouldn't feel bad that we aren't persecuted in that way. And that's not my intention to bring that up. But my intention is to show that we struggle in a unique way. And we need to be willing to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what is it we're up against that we need to deal with? And be willing to face. And so here's what I want to show you. I want to show you some immaturities that we face in our church today. Not just West Olive, but, but pretty much every church around the world is going to struggle with this. But particularly in America, particularly in uh, free countries. First immaturity that we face is that, hey, the church is a place and a location. The church is a place and a location, but Jesus said to the woman at the well, the hour is coming when neither in this place or that place where you worship the Father, because the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. Look at this other immaturity we face. The, the church is a service on Sunday. The church is just a service one day a week. How about this one? And guys, forgive me. I know this one hurts. It's meddling a little bit. My individual life and priorities are more important than my community and its priorities. Then look at this final one. The work of the ministry is done by professionals. The staff or the church are the ones that are to do the work of the ministry. Now, maybe as we're looking at these, one thing that goes through our head is like, I know all of these. This is nothing new. This is elementary Yeah, we all know like this is thing and we admit that's not right. That's not biblical. The issue isn't that we're ignorant of this. It's far worse. If we were ignorant of these things, there would be far more grace and far more understanding and we could just learn and grow from them. But the issue is we are aware of these things and we are okay with them and we actually desire this more than the real thing because the real thing requires work. The real thing requires sacrifice. God's way inconveniences us. And so we're happy to make one day a week. We're happy to just sit down, listen, and leave. We're happy to not get involved in the lives of those around us. And we're happy to let the pastors do everything. And if we don't face our immaturities head on, we will starve to death. So as we get in Ephesians 4, here's three things we're going to look at. 
three things that as a body together individually, we must embrace if we want to grow. If I were to ask you, raise your hand if you want to grow into the image of Christ. God says you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Ephesians 2.10 says that by grace you've been saved through faith as a gift of God. It is it's not of works lest any man can boast. And that we have been, been prepared beforehand that we would walk in good works. Every single one of us would say, yep, I, I want to be like Jesus. We want that. But God has made a way for that to happen, a way for us to mature and grow. And this passage is foundationally speaking into that. So if we want to grow, we must embrace these three things. I want you to think about being in like a ski lift, right? Who likes heights? Uh, like most of the kids, like raise like, yeah! Don't wait. As you get older, you'll get scared of them. Imagine you're on a ski lift and the thing like breaks and it falls out and you begin sliding out. And so you're reaching for something and you grasp for like the handle and you're sitting there hanging on. What happens if you let go, right? That's your lifeline. That's what you're embracing and holding on to and keeping you safe and keeping you from falling. You let go of it, you'll fall. Same thing here. We must embrace this passage. We must embrace the scripture and see what God's telling us if we want to grow. Otherwise, we'll starve and we'll wilt and will fade away. So look at this first thing. The first thing we must embrace if we want to grow, Ephesians 11 verse 11 is this, my leader's role to equip me. My leader's role to equip me. And Paul says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Stop there. If you think back to Charles' sermon, we heard about Jesus coming down and he gave gifts to men. Here's what's a little bit awkward for me to stand up and say, but I've got to interpret Scripture and tell you what it's meaning. Jesus gave gifts to men, but the gifts that Jesus gave were people. Jesus gave particular people that were gifts that would lead his people in truth and righteousness and train them and equip them. He says he gave, and that's why in verse 11 he says, and he gave. He defines it even more. What's he talking about that Jesus has given? It's people. Certain gifted people. It says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Folks in his commentary says this. Now Paul goes on to speak of the specific gifts that he has given. The gifts are the people all in their particular ministries, are God's gift to the church. To Christ, says Calvin, we owe it that we have ministers of the gospel. The church may appoint people to different work and functions, but unless they have the gifts of the Spirit and therefore are themselves gifts to the, of Christ to His church, their appointment is valueless. The expression also serves well to remind ministers that the gifts of the Spirit are not for the enrichment of oneself, but for the enrichment of the church. So Paul lists these group of men, but not particularly the office. He's talking about those who are gifted in a certain way to do a work of the ministry that will equip other believers. And that's a gift. He says they're first apostles. So let's talk about them real quick. Look down at your word. Go through this with me. He says, and he gave apostles. The word apostle, it means someone sent out on a mission. 
And the apostles were the men who were appointed by Jesus Christ to go on a certain mission and plant these churches and reveal his word through inspiration. And there's some requirements of being an apostle. One of the requirements was you had to see the resurrected Lord and been commissioned by him. That's why we do not have apostles today. Though the gift of apostleship still exists, let me explain that. Simply being able to go out on a mission for the Lord, particularly to plant churches. But we don't have apostles of Christ today. We could say we have apostles of the church today, but we don't use that terminology. We may say something more like a missionary or a church planter. He says then, the prophets, the prophets were very interesting. The apostles and the prophets are the ones in which you and I are here today speaking of. Because of the work that God did through them and the foundation he laid through them, we are here today because of that. If you remember back in chapter 2, as well as at the beginning of chapter 3, he talks about, and we continue on the foundations of the, and the work of the apostles and the prophets. A prophet being someone who, who, who took a particular revealed word of the Lord and gave it to the people. Gave it to a people in a way that they could understand and be motivated to live by. And before we got this, before we got the word of God, how did people get the information that you and I have? Well, they got it through the apostles writing down letters and through prophets speaking the revealed word of God that was in accordance with the scripture and proved to be true. And many false prophets were out about in that day going around deceiving the church. And so that's why being a teacher can be so influential because you can move someone this way or that way, totally in the wrong way, and people will literally drink Kool-Aid and die because of your influence. Or they'll be ushered in to the knowledge of the Son of God through the faithful teaching of His Word. The apostles and the prophets, but as the church began to read and cycle the letters of the apostles and God had given us a completed, revealed scripture. We had no more need for those. And so now we see the three primary roles, the three primary foundational roles today that God uses to equip this people. Evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Evangelist is simply someone who's going out on a mission and particularly to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Very gifted people who are able to just know how to take the word of God and deliver it to people and put it in a way where they can understand it. And through the spirit of God, he draws them to them and they believe, proclaiming the gospel. We need evangelists. But the evangelists also had the duty of, of giving that gift in the church because the church still needs to hear the gospel. Because our hearts are not inclined to the work of grace, but to the work of works and to doing it ourselves. And so we still need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And we need evangelists in the church. And it says here, the shepherds and teachers. There's a reason there's not a comma between shepherds and teachers because it's not necessarily two different gifts and offices. A shepherd is expected to be able to teach and be, needs to be qualified to teach. And then there's teachers. God has given to men, to us, certain people with gift sets that will equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So what's awkward is I'm standing up here telling you I'm a gift to you. That's awkward. I'm sorry that, and I speak on behalf of the, the rest of the elders and pastors, we are sorry that you have to put up with us 
And we pray daily that God will forgive us and be patient with us and help us to love you and shepherd you and equip you and teach you in a way that leads you to Christ, not from Christ. I love you guys. So what about the word equipping? When you hear the word equipping, here's what I want you to think of. Here's what I want you to think of. Boot camp. When you hear the word equipping, I want you to think of the word boot camp. Boot camp is basic training, often called boot camp, prepares recruits for all the elements of service, physical, mental, and emotional. It gives service members the basic tools necessary to perform the roles that will be asked of them for their duration of the tour. So imagine if you went to boot camp and you sat down and you watched the drill instructor climb the walls and do all the work and you sat back and clapped and loved watching. You see, this is when it gets a little bit harder because we have to understand our roles and what God has called us to and we need to use it effectively if we want to grow. And so there's a two-way street. One, we must embrace our leader's role to equip us, but leaders must embrace the role to equip and not just micromanage and take over everything. That's not how God's designed it. So, how do we know? Here's a, here's a, I want to go through some scripture with us. You don't need to turn, but I want you to listen. How do we know if we're spiritually immature right now? And let me say this. Being spiritually immature is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing as if you're recently saved and you're naturally starting out. We all start out babies. A baby's born, a baby must grow. And we watch children grow over time as they're fed and their bodies naturally get taller and taller and taller. And sometimes their body gets taller and their body says they're more mature than they actually are. But then there's also a maturing of the mind and an understanding of discipline and maturity that grows in. And we can see it clearly in the life of a person. And we need to be able to see it clearly in the life of our spiritual bodies and our spirituality. Because our bodies are wasting away and will die, but the soul will live forever. So our spiritual maturation is far more important. We need to care about far more. That's why Paul said, um, bodily exercise is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way, for it holds promises to the life to come as well as in this life. So we would do well to pay attention to our spiritual bodies and want to pour into it and do everything that we have to do to make sure we're getting the nourishment we need to grow Peter says this, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So there's, there's, this, there's this spiritual immaturity we all start out with, but the expectation is we're growing. And your leaders have a direct role in helping equip you to grow, grow. But listen, here's three things. I don't have them in your notes. I just want to share with you as I've looked through Scripture and I've brought out some things and, and some, some understanding of what, what might uh, spiritual immature manifest. What might it look like? Spiritually immature people are unable, unable to handle the deep things of Scripture. He said to the Hebrews, the Hebrew Christians that should have been teachers themselves. He said, concerning him whom I have much to say, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You see this basic training? There's this training, there's this process, there's this growing. Paul said to the Corinthians, Brothers, I, I could not speak to you as, a, as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. 
Another thing I notice is that spiritually immature people constantly need to be taught the same things over and over again. He said also to the Hebrews, he said, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. The expectation was that they would be taught and that they would become teachers themselves. And then the final, maybe the biggest, the biggest telltale sign of immaturity, both, both physical immaturity in the world and then spiritual immaturity is selfishness, selfishness. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, you are still fleshly. You're carnal. You're still fleshly. You're not, you're not living according to the Spirit. How do I know this? He says, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? You see, when Christ saves us, we become a new creation. And the expectation is that new creation is infecting our life. One through three in our heart is changing our life. And when we don't change, we manifest that maybe the Spirit's not in us. Or maybe we're being neglected and we're being malnourished and we're not growing like we should. You want to see how this happens? Selfishness and strife and jealousies. I have three girls. What do you think will happen if I bless one of my girls with a, with a toy and I don't give the other two something? What's going to happen? Oh, where's mine? Right? And so jealousy and strife amongst the body of Christ is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Think about it. Are you able, are you able to honestly, genuinely, sincerely in your heart see your brothers and sisters around you be blessed by God? See God do something in their life that's so wonderful. Bless them and not become jealous, thinking, well, when's God going to do that for me? And so we love to talk about what God's done for us and we want God to do it and we'll raise our hand and we'll rejoice in our testimony. But when we hear someone else testifying about the work in their life, we can only get jealous and wish we had that. Listen, that's a sign of immaturity. One thing we must embrace is so God has given us leaders, men who will teach us the word. And it's not just the office. It's not just your pastoral staff and your elders. Some of you have the gift of teaching and evangelism and the heart of shepherding, and God wants to use you to help equip the body as well. God wants to use you. This is his plan. Now let me talk to you about teachers and their responsibility and pressure. Let me, let me give you a little insight into the pressures that are on your leaders and the expectations that we face every single day that we have to be reminded of from Scripture. We're told in the book of Acts, we said, pay, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. You think God and Jesus cares about you? You better believe it. You're his possession. You are his prized possession. He loves you. He laid down his life for you, and he cares, he cares about you with an all-consuming love that we will never be able to fathom until the day we meet him. And then he takes men, fleshly men, and he puts them over you to watch you. You better believe God is going to pay attention to me and to us how we watch over you. And there will be greater judgment for your leaders for what we do or don't do for the betterment of the body. You're not ours, you're his. And the Holy Spirit has put us over you to watch over you and we better be doing that. So pray for us. 
James 3.1 keeps me awake at night. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that he who teaches will be judged with greater strictness. Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. By the way, the word elder is simply the same word for pastor. We talk about a pastor, you're talking about an elder. You're talking about an elder, you're talking about a pastor. We just use those words in different ways, especially here in our church. We use it in a different way to just help show the different ways and, uh, of administration and function that we have. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherding has the idea of feeding the sheep God's word and protecting them from evil. Feeding the sheep God's word and protecting them from evil. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, God cares very much about his leaders and how they are, a a leader of gentleness and a leader of an example that will work alongside with the body and not rule over them. And there's judgment for those who will take the flock of God and rule over them with an iron fist and dominate and domineer. There's judgment there. And he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Hebrews says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is hard to talk about. It's hard to be up here and say these things. But the encouragement is God has set up His church in the way He wants it to function. And when it functions the way he wants, it is a joy. And the people grow. And we get closer to Christ. And we all have a part to play. And Paul said to Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Church, I want to let you in a little insight. Your elders care for you and love you and they have sacrificed much. Every week, Tuesday mornings, the elders and the pastors get together for a couple hours early in the morning, praying over the church, asking God, what do you want us to do? Knowing we're not worthy, seeing and struggling with all of our inconsistencies, dealing with the lies of the enemy within our heart as well. Pray for your leaders. And I can tell you this, the elders who do roll over us are godly men. Who want what God wants? Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. So leaders and teachers in our church, whether you're a pastor or an elder, if you're some type of leader or teacher, do you know the weight of responsibility and judgment and watchful eye that God has on you as you shepherd people and lead them in the knowledge of truth? It is a very serious thing, something that we all need to take very seriously. So the first thing we need to embrace is my leader's role to equip me. To let them equip and to realize that they're equipping me not not so that they can do the work of the ministry, but so we all can work at it together. Which brings us to the next verse, verse 13. He says this, 
says this in verse 13, to equip the saints of the work of the ministry for the building up of the body. The second thing we must embrace is my role to serve. My role, my individual part of the body. God has given us leaders to equip us to do what? To do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. What is the work of the ministry? That's the first thing I came to as I studied this. I'm like, okay, so we've got to know what the work of the ministry is if we want to be equipped for it and we want to start doing it. So the work of the ministry can be summed up in, in two things. Really, he says there in the verse, for building up the body of Christ. So that's what it's going to do. If we're doing the work of the ministry, the body's going to be growing. It's going to be built up. It's not going to be torn down. It's going to be built up. And here's the two aspects of the work of the ministry that we all have an obligation in. You hear me? Everyone look this way. The two roles of the work of the ministry that we all partake in and must be striving for individually in our life as well as corporately together in community. The first one's this, internal edification. You come to 1 Corinthians 12, you look through the scripture, you start seeing these passages with spiritual gifts and the things that God has given us. There's this internal, inside the body, inside West Olive, an expectation that we are using our gift in a way to edify and build up those around us. A gift is not to make myself look good. A gift is not supposed to be used to equip myself and just to be used for me. That's, Paul says those are, those are the less desirable gifts in 1 Corinthians. No, 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 no. Desire the ones that will help your brothers and sisters around you. And God has purposely set up the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and then we're all members. God has purposely set it up for you to be gifted in a way, but also to be a weak in a way. We're like a puzzle piece, right? So we have something to add, but we also have something that we need added to us. And when you put all the puzzle pieces together, it makes a beautiful picture. But that's only when we work together. Now, I know your immediate thought, your immediate thought in all this because it'd be my immediate thought, is, I don't know my spiritual gift. You can say, like, yeah, that's what I was thinking, Jasper. I don't know my spiritual gift. Well, no, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to do my part right now by helping equip you. So here's the greatest way you can figure out your spiritual gift, and it's not by having a pastor tell you, and it's not by going and taking a spiritual assessment test. Those, those can be helpful. You want to know what your spiritual gift is? You've got to get involved with the life of people around you. I promise you, organically, God will bring up situations and struggles and pains in life for where you're gifted to speak into. It will naturally happen. That's why this is called a manifestation of the Spirit. So when you put yourself in a situation to see something, the Spirit works in you to want to do something. And your gift will naturally be manifested. We have to start caring about actually just being involved and working and helping the body than, than being so obsessed with just trying to figure out what exactly our spiritual gift is. It will happen, I promise you. Go talk to Charles. Go talk to Todd. Come talk to me about the leaders who are helping us in different areas in the ministry, and I can tell you where they're all gifted. It just naturally comes up and manifests itself. It just happens. But if we're isolated, we're not together in fellowship with one another, of course we're not going to know our small group because we're not going to be in any situation to ever use them. You want to find out what your spiritual gift is, get involved in the life of the church. Join a small group if you haven't. I promise you, you'll have opportunity to use it there. I promise you. You'll find out who has the gift of hospitality. You'll find out who has gifts and works of mercy. You'll find out who's a teacher. You'll find out who's a leader. You'll find out who gives encouragement. All of that will naturally manifest itself. So God has set up a work for the ministry that we ought to take part of, and, and, and the one of it is internal edification. 
Why do you come to church? This should be the main reason. One of the main reasons you come to church. If it's anything else besides that, that's an immature thought, and we need to grow from it, right? We need to, okay, God, help me remove that. Help me understand and look to deeper things. What do you want me doing? Why am I here? This is it. The next thing the church needs to be working at is external evangelism. One of the main reasons we exist to work together is to be the light in the city on the hill to the rest of the world, to take what God has done in our heart that we rejoice over and we sing songs about and to take it into the world, into the community, those around us. Are you doing that individually? Do you even have a desire for it? And then corporately, are we doing it? We must be doing that. We must be working together to see those outside of the church not come in and just join us on a Sunday, but to see them know the beauty of Christ, to see them know the atoning work and the treasures and the joy and the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. We can't hold that and hide that. We must give that and it should be natural and we should be working on that. And if we want to say, hey, we're doing the work of the ministry, these two things will be happening. So we got to do, but it takes every single person serving and doing their role. Scripture tells us, Paul tells us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We're told in 1 Corinthians, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. James 3.16 says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. We're told also by Paul, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. The Lord has given me the task of testifying to the good news of the grace of God. God, give us that heart. Every single one of us here, give us this heart. Told in Mark, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And then we're told in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. And so I think if I'm worth, diving, die, if I'm worth dying for, he's worth living for. And so, God, I'm going to pour my heart out for what you want above what I want. And what you want, God, is for me to selflessly love my brothers and sisters and use the giftings that you've given me to edify them and grow them and to be in fellowship with them. And if you don't have a heart for one another, something's wrong. Either immaturity has plagued your life or the Spirit does not reside in you because the very thing the Spirit wants is for you to love those around you with a selfless, sacrificing love. If it's not there, you need to be on your knees begging God to give it to you. We need to be willing to lay down our lives for one another and put, a, put aside the immature bickering and jealousy. I'm not saying that it exists. I'm saying generally in our church today, this is what we're going to face constantly. If you want to use your gift, it has to flow from an ever-growing understanding of God's Word, working in conjunction with the Spirit to manifest your gift in the organic scenarios of being in fellowship with your brothers and sisters. If you're not in a small group, you need to be begging us to find you one. Get in a small group. No excuse. Remember my dad told me growing up, any excuse will work, son. There's no reason... I don't care how busy life is. I don't care. Because the most important thing for us to be doing in life, besides our busyness and our family things and the things that are still important, 
We need to be plugged into the body and the life of the church because God will not grow us if we're not. This is the means by which he wants to grow us is us working in conjunction with one another. Here's what it means. It means you need the church, but the church needs you. And God has purposefully set it up that way. He's purposely set it up that way so we'll be humble. We'll see our need for one another, but we'll also know and see that we have something to offer as well. Look at this final thing that we must embrace if we want to grow. And it's simply this, our goal. We need to embrace our goal to grow together. Verse 13 of Ephesians 4 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You said there's one goal in life we should have. God has changed our heart. Now he's beginning to change our life. But the reason he's doing that is so we'll literally be conformed to the image of God's Son. Oh, a goal set before the foundations of the world were ever made. God intimately knew you and had a plan for you to be a part of a body and to grow into the image of Christ. And he says, we have our leaders who will equip us. We play our part and we serve Not under obligation, but with joy and love, realizing the point of it. And then we all, together with one voice, have this goal, knowing that our goal is to grow and to mature into the image of Christ. And so we do this for how long? Till the day we die. Because you tell me, well, I'm going to read this one more time. You tell me if this is attainable in your flesh right now. The unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or adulthood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Have you met someone living in a body right now who has the full measure and stature of the fullness of Christ? I haven't met that person. I'm not there. And so here's what it means. How long do we keep embracing these things till the day we die? We are always growing. We are looking ahead to the goal, the high calling of Christ. We're looking towards perfection being something that's going to happen in glorification when we die and Jesus gives us new bodies. But until then, we will groan together that we're not there. And so we will work together knowing that God will grow us through our work in harmony. We must embrace this goal of having our eyes set on maturity, spiritual maturity. We must embrace it. The unity of faith, this is, he's pointing back to what Paul t- uh, Todd taught on. One body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. There's this unity of the faith of the knowledge of Son of God. Our knowledge is limited. The knowledge of the Son of God, we're told to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so God has set up his body to equip you with that knowledge from your leaders as well as from your individual study. Maybe you're sitting here like, man, I just... I don't know the Bible. I don't even know how to study. Okay, get involved. Get involved. We've got a psalm study going on every Sunday morning happening right over here in this room of teaching people who equipped you and start showing you what the Bible says about the psalms that can speak into every area of your life. And this, the final goal being mature manhood or adulthood. So we've got to ask our question, what is it that we want In life, what is it that we want? What is it that we're striving for? Why is it we come to church? What's our motivation? What's going on in my heart? Assess it. If it's not the goal, if it's not the goal of growing into the image of Christ, something else is in place of that, and it's an idol. It's an idol that needs to be removed. Stop worshiping that and replace it with God's goal. 
but we need to also see that this goal is something that involves every single one of us together. Now listen, I know some of the things that I've said are hard, but they're necessary. And I know that life is messier than the black and white statement of just do it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if we're struggling with this and if you're hearing these these things that you have to embrace, you're convicted maybe of spiritual immaturity and you have things in your heart that are holding you back and keeping you. The answer isn't your pastor saying here, you've just got to do it, though sometimes that's necessary. God's got to do something in your heart. And so I encourage you to go back to chapters one through three and meditate and reflect on and soak in and eat, sleep and breathe what Jesus has done for you. Because I promise you, you'll have no problem doing this when you understand and fully know the love and the depths of Christ's love for you. I thought about putting a picture up on the screen. I decided not to because it was it's hard to look at. And maybe you've seen the famous picture of the little girl in Sudan who's starving. And there's a vulture in the background waiting for her to die. And we have an enemy who wants nothing more than for us to be like stagnant water, doing nothing bacteria infesting. We have an enemy who wants nothing more than to starve us and bring us to the point where he can eat us alive because he wants to consume us and destroy us. And he gets very mad when the church starts getting serious about the mature things of the Lord. The church starts getting serious about loving one another. The church starts getting serious about exalting Jesus high above everything. The church, the, the enemy gets mad when the church begins to praise him regardless of the persecution and the hardships of life. The enemy gets mad when we take everything that the world has given us and we throw it away all for the knowledge of Jesus. The enemy gets furious and there's nothing he can do about it. Don't get scared, brothers. We have a Savior who has conquered the enemy. And so let's stop worrying about what he's done and what he might do or could do because he has been disarmed and he is powerless against God's church and God will grow his church. Let's be a part of it together and get excited and revel in the gospel of Jesus together as he works to build us up through our gifts and we take on the world with the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, so many things I want to say, so many things to say. God, I trust that you'll take what you're telling us this morning, you'll apply it to our heart, you'll grow us. God, you'd be patient with me as a leader. You'd help my insecurities and my fears. God, you'd forgive me and be merciful to me and help me pour out, as Paul said, be willing to be spent and spend for the sake of the body. Be with all of our leaders. Be with our elders. Be with our pastors. Be with our children's teachers. Be with our youth leaders. Be with our small group leaders, God. Use us to equip the body. And do a work in us individually that pushes out the enemy and his lies and his thoughts. Do a work in our heart that makes us want this and desire it. God, we got to get to a point where we, we, we no longer hate and cringe over hearing these things, but get us to a point where we love it and we do it. And no one needs to tell us because you're just working through us, because we're in love with you, because your love compels us. God, do that work for us, I pray all in the name of Jesus. Amen.